Good day everyone. My name is Ishan and welcome to my podcast. With this episode, I'm launching a series I had mentioned in my welcome video where I will be chatting with Captain Pendra Gopte, who will be sharing his experiences at various ports around the world during his illustrious merchant navy career spanning over 4 decades. He has circumnavigated the globe 6 times and has a rich abundance of not only knowledge but stories through his diverse experiences which he will be sharing with all our listeners we will be calling this series the captain's log and kickstarting the debut episode on our captain's birthday which is today on the 2nd of July in today's episode captain gokte will be sharing his experience at port einsokna which is located along the town of the same name in the Suez governorate lying on the western shore of the Red Sea's Gulf of Suez it is situated 55 kilometers south of Suez Canal uh, the entry of Suez Canal and approximately 120 kilometers east of Cairo so captain welcome to the episode so when was the first time you visited this port Hi Ishan thank thank you for having me oh it was first time was in 1986 1986 yeah. wow um 1986 doesn't have very good memories for the world um, we all are aware it was the same year when we had the the chernobyl uh chernobyl explosion so quite a tragic year i'm pretty sure a lot of people are aware of um the tragedy uh, because of the tv series as well so oh it's 86 and uh the tragic here because of the explosion and here we have captain gokte who is um visiting this particular port with his massive ship um have you been to the port um anytime after that year as well or was it the only year you visited the port i think four or five times four or five times yeah. and um are you going to share your experiences overall or is it a particular year that you like to focus on today i'm sure the uh, the, the first visit makes a lot of uh, printed memory mm. uh, and plus it's uh, cumulative right you know a big accumulation of uh, experiences somewhere uh, it's going to be a mix of course and that that's that's wonderful that's what the audiences would love to hear so let us start i mean could you could you tell us um, how it felt the very first time when you visited the port very interesting so uh, it's all ship captain's perspective mm-hmm. and uh, i became ship captain bit later uh, five or six years later after that but when i uh, went there first time it was 1986 the ship was a vlcc VLCC okay very could you large. tell us <laughs> audiences what it would mean because um there are some audiences in India where VLCC is actually a weight loss program so oh, no, we no, don't no, want no. to confuse with that <laughs> no 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 and this VLCC indeed is very large okay crude oil carrier okay okay she was uh, and and like the shipping is full of a lot of acronyms i, I just heard You're, you say she so is it is it common in merchant navy to call ships with a feminine gender i should say it uh, was but i've heard you say she so is it yes, common yes i'm the old school man yeah let, let us go and, with the old school there is no wrong here it was yeah. drilled it was drilled <laughs> that uh, the merchant navy ship was always called she let's call it she and uh, <laughs> the war navies were always called the men 
so interesting. Uh, Navy ship was always called a man of war. Okay. And we always referred to our ships as she. Well, we don't know about the military, but, but, but the world we know what the merchant navy. Uh, <laughs> but the world is changing now. Oh, absolutely. And often uh, you hear people calling, uh, you know, with no gender. People mm. just call the ship a ship. So VLCC, uh, could you tell us how heavy this was? Like, could you give us an idea of the size? We used to carry about 1.8 million uh, U.S. barrels of cargo. Wow. And the ship was uh, 1,200 feet in length. Mm -hmm. About uh, when fully laden, we used to be about 72 feet uh, below the waterline wow. uh, draft, drawing mm -hmm. that draft. And uh, she was giant, very big. We used she to use giant. bicycles. Right. And uh, particularly on this particular ship, I remember uh, she was an old lady. Now, again, <laughs> that's how we talk, we used to talk. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was built in Sweden. Oh. Uh, that shipyard over the period of time has closed down and I lost, mm -hmm. last I heard was uh, there is a car factory there. I, uh -huh. I, even that story is old. I don't know what's <laughs> the latest there. But uh, those days these large ships were mainly built in the Scandinavian mm -hmm. countries. And uh, when she was built, the world was going, uh, the shipping world was making changes from uh, food, you know, pounds to metric system. So... Uh, Talking about pounds to metric systems, um, I'll be very honest with you. All I understand is kilograms, and I'm sure some people understand pounds, but whatever you would say, I would have to convert it to kilograms. And guess what? I just did my little calculations to give the audiences an idea in kilograms. So Captain Gokhtis ship, the VLCC, the very, very large ship, or um, in kilograms, would you, would you all like to guess how many kilograms it was? <laughs> 300 million kilograms. Oh my to give goodness. you a perspective that is as heavy or heavier than 60,000 elephants. Oh so basically you were carrying 60,000 <laughs> elephants worth of weight into this delicate port. Now, now I just made it up. I'm not sure if it was a delicate port, but here we have a massive ship heading to the port. Captain, what do you see? What were your first thoughts? We'd all like to know. Oh, uh, uh, you will have to tell me about the time limit because, you know, I'm now 62 year old <laughs> and uh, uh, my, I got my first license exactly 40 years today, mm -hmm. 40 years ago. Wow. Uh, it was 2nd July, not only my birthday, uh, but it was also 2nd July 1981 mm -hmm. when I had finished my apprenticeship and uh, passed my exams and I had what we used to call the blue chit in India in those days or uh, a license as an officer and since then a lot of things have changed so uh, including the way the oil is transported but at that time uh, there, there were a lot of conflicts which used to happen you must have heard I'm not going into history mm -hmm. and often the bottleneck areas mm -hmm. like of course the Suez Canal or you have Gibraltar Straits uh, connecting the Atlantic to Mediterranean or Babel Mandep is uh, that connects Red Sea to the Arabian what, what Sea. What was that Babel Mandep? Babel Mandep what is, is, that? A, is, is a Arabic uh, area name uh -huh. which is like a straits. Oh. Uh, you know we call these the uh, straits of Gibraltar, straits of Babel Mandep. Mm -hmm. They are the sea channels you can call right. okay. natural channels. Natural. Okay. Where uh, the, the width of the sea is very is small mm -hmm. uh, as compared with the seas and the oceans. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, so you have Malacca Straits mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, okay. And, and uh, they are strategically very uh, important. Mm -hmm. Or you have in the Persian Gulf, you might have heard often about uh, Strait of Hormuz mm -hmm. and so on. And they are sometimes locked, uh, like in case of uh, Suez Canal, it had happened during the earlier conflicts. Mm -hmm. And that used to affect or it could easily affect the oil supply from the Persian Gulf, nowadays also called Arabian Gulf, mm -hmm. to the Western countries and their uh, very large and modern refineries at that time. And uh, they used to be uh, totally dependent upon a regular supply of oil coming in in, uh, in an uninterrupted way. Mm -hmm. uh, on one hand, the size of the ship started becoming larger and larger. What came to be called as VLCs is in fact, uh, my ship was not at all the largest. They were even ULCCs, mm -hmm. ultra large ships. I'm, I'm saying, I'm talking in past tense because uh, over the period of time, it became uneconomical to run those kinds of ships. Mm -hmm. So these were the giant, giant ones of that, that era. Mm -hmm. But they could not cross the Suez Canal <coughs> because the Suez Canal was uh, not so deep and mm -hmm. not so big. Later it got dredged, uh, but not again, not to the extent of carrying these large ships in their fully mm -hmm. laden state. So, in 1977, when oil pipeline was inaugurated, it was mm -hmm. uh, laid prior to that, uh, which uh, in an imaginary way, virtual way, one can imagine as uh, a pipeline that ran, that ran uh, parallel to, mm -hmm. that is not exactly parallel, but mm -hmm. it, it connects the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it pumps the oil over there. Mm -hmm. So uh, that affected the way we worked okay. and the way the VLCCs uh, were employed. So that was because at the back of your mind while you were entering the port? Absolutely, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Because first time when I came into this port, let's, let's uh, talk about that experience from the sea. It was night mm -hmm. and uh, I was chief mate. So uh, I had navigation on one hand and I was sailing with the master. Master is a sense. Uh, uh, legal position is master, but uh, we the title is captain. Just just so, so audiences are clear, you said you were chief mate. Yeah. So what's the position after chief mate? Uh, above chief mate is a captain of the ship. The captain straight away. Okay. Straight away. Yeah. All right. And so you are the chief mate. In the navigation mate. and mm -hmm. executive side, you can okay. call. And there is only one captain on the okay. ship. Okay. But uh, so the captain had put a lot of. Uh, expectation from me mm -hmm. and uh, he had said that uh, please take care of everything that is happening on the ship including navigation. Mm -hmm. So we had very good navigating officers but I was involved in the way the courses were laid, the way the navigation was being planned up to this port where none of us had gone before. Oh. And we were approaching, this is also the era where we didn't have satellite navigation. So we had the traditional uh, X-band and S-band radars and we were approaching and it was uh, in the middle of the night in the sense on the bridge, uh, what we mean by bridge is the place from where the ship is navigated. Mm -hmm. So you have the, uh, the steering system 
and uh, in Hindi, the word is Sukhani, but we call it Abi, able bodied hand. Uh, he is a person who is manually steering the ship. The ship is no more uh, on autopilot. We mm -hmm. take it off and take on manual steering as we are approaching the port. And constantly we are trying to uh, check opposition. And the ship keeps on approaching the harbor, the port. Mm -hmm. So this particular port, as I remember, was uh, at that time was at night mm -hmm. and without GPS, without uh, satellite navigation, without electronic navigation. So we are going purely by the way the coast is detected. So the main uh, eagerness for us is to identify the the shoreline or the 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 radar identifiable structures. Once they are verified and once we are so sure that that's the one and then with reference to that we can, uh, we could be absolutely assured that we are not going to take the ship towards the navigational hazards. Mm -hmm. And in the Red Sea uh, those days because the shores were of desert in nature and they were not very easily detectable. So sometimes you did not see if the radar setting is not okay. So you could not really identify uh, what you are seeing, what the line that could be seen on the radar could be something few miles inside. Mm -hmm. So our fingers used to be constantly on the tuning, on gain, on clutter. They are the different, different controls. And uh, we're trying to have the best tuning. And once the identification is done, the ship was then, everybody was, of course, a bit relaxed. I'm just a bit curious because you said there was no electrical navigation, no... No electronic, no elec electronic navigation. Electronic navigation, yeah. no satellite navigation as well? Yes, no satellite navigation. Uh, how did you even see in the in the sea? How would you even take your ship close to the shore? Uh, mm. How could you even see in the dark? The radars were our eyes. Well, we are not sailors, but um, <laughs> it just gives us a... It's like driving on a highway. When it's pitch dark and you go off track into the forest, you don't know where you're heading and you're being asked to find a fuel station with no GPS. I think <laughs> that would give anyone very high anxiety. Uh, but could you, could you tell us in very simple terms uh, how it's done? How would do you literally depend on your eyes to look at the show? Or are there any lights way, that, that follow? That's why, that's why there used to be very strict eyesight tests. Oh, the, no glasses were permitted at that time. That's we could not take up that career. Uh -huh. Of course, no color blindness. Mm -hmm. For collision avoidance with other ships, we we uh, went by mainly the lights. At night, we are talking, so mm -hmm. lights of the ships. Mm -hmm. There is a full code for that, and then uh, we all know it by heart. And from the way you look at them, the way the angle is, the aspect is, we realize what is happening, and we keep resolving the the relative. Uh, you know, parallelogram of vectors, mm -hmm. and and then whatever the actions are taken, and of course not and repeat the mistakes of Columbus. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you can't afford to go. Afford to, to yeah. Yeah, that was dead reckoning. Okay, <laughs> that is called kind of dead reckoning. If you for days you don't get the celestial position, mm -hmm. then based on your previous course and speed, you just imagine where you're going and. Uh, that was the explorer's way. Mm -hmm. Very tough way, of course, uh, you know, what Columbus had because he had to face a lot of mm -hmm. uh, unknown territories. Coming back here, the uh, for navigation, you also depend upon the lighthouses. Lighthouses. But okay. they have a range. Mm -hmm. 
and when we are coming from deep ocean from the sea then in the gulf and uh, there is a time when you actually sight it so lookout was very important mm -hmm. it is important today also but at that time it was even so more important so uh, eagerly we used to always be watching with binoculars and the moment we spotted highlighted something or we used to have the echo sounders running but echo sounder can also run and give you depth if you are in in relatively less uh, i mean i'm talking about 100 meter line mm -hmm. 100 meter line is about 300 feet if you are deeper than that uh, you don't get uh, you know good the soundings will not give you good indication uh, navigationally okay so uh, you, you 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 don't have that much of data Mm -hmm. to uh, understand the line of sounding etc mm -hmm. so here it was we started approaching mm -hmm. it's not just what you're seeing navigationally but also what you're hearing on the vhf mm -hmm. you start coming in the range of the vhf vhf is very high frequency radio on to which it's a radio telephony set where you're hearing the ships talking the port talking so you start hearing a lot of arabic egyptian arabic and uh, those sounds are increasing as you're approaching. Uh, at one point, you pass on your ship's information. The contact is made. What is What was interesting about Ain Sukhna at that time was, there are a lot of other Egyptian ports, of course, Suez Canal being the, the most frequently talked about and visited uh, port and canal and area and on the, on the other side, your port side. But and there are certain characteristics, the way the ports are run, the way the people uh, talk to you as the ship staff, the authorities, the way they, they talk to you, they treat you. That, having said that, it is that in spite of that uniqueness, what was unique at that time about Ain Sukhna was it was totally professional. And it, it was more so uh, governed by the attitudes of international oil traders. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, and they also used to be uh, an expediter to speed up things. And Captain, you said they were very professional, but we would usually imagine that most of the ports would be professional. So, uh, how would you differentiate the professionalism at this particular port compared to other ports? What made you say they were professional? What was really different about them? When you are, uh, there are characteristics mm -hmm. uh, about the way things are handled. Okay. And uh, I'm talking about the 80s okay. at that time. The local characteristics used to be at times overpowering mm -hmm. the international standards. Over the period, now in 2021, if you see, there are standard, international standards about handling terminals, handling cargoes, ship scheduling, and also stowing uh, the cargoes on board, mm -hmm. which is being done at one highly efficient level, mm -hmm. uh, thanks to information technology, communication, mm -hmm. and a lot of technology that is coming in, mm -hmm. and frankly, also a lot of education mm -hmm. uh, going among the stakeholders and those who operate. It was not so at that time. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of approximation. There was a lot of negotiation. There used to be a lot of, I would say, loss of cargo, Mm -hmm. uh, wastage of cargo at times because of uh, the two grades not being, uh, you know, properly separated in the pipelines or in the tanks, show tanks I'm talking mm -hmm. about, etc, etc. Or sometimes even mistakes in calculations. Okay. So, if 
if one had that experience in the other ports of that country, when I'm talking about Ain Sukhana and over here what I found differently at that time and vividly remember is there were a lot of people who were directly talking to Geneva mm -hmm. uh, in Switzerland, which had no sea. Mm -hmm. there, were, there were traders who were talking uh, to their principals in Denmark. Why was this though? Because the trade is happening, those traders are sitting over there and they were operating through Houston Stock Exchange mm -hmm. or Dubai Exchange and here this large parcel, 1.8 million barrels of oil is being purchased by somebody, transported by somebody mm -hmm. And it, it was going to go into the Mediterranean side mm -hmm. and also it was going to go in multiple ships. One would go to US, other would go to uh, Antwerp and Rotterdam area into those refineries, etc, etc. And for such a large uh, venture, many entities are involved and they are all in a hurry because time is gold, time is precious and there were there are these particular heads of business which we could sense that it was entirely different from the rest of the Egyptian ports or if there were any other country I would have said the same thing. Frankly. Very interesting. Would you say your crew was also prepared for this professionalism or do you feel uh, they were not? They were expecting something similar to other ports which might have made communication with uh, the professionalism at this port difficult. How did you sync with each other? How did you make it a harmonious, uh, you know, uh, trade at that particular uh, port? How did the communication go, rather, you know? <laughs> now at this age, I think I am mellowed down, or I, I would rather laugh. But believe me, uh, our ego played very important role in being uh, in doing our job. Mm -hmm. And even today, I will say about my ship at that time, I was a shipmate, I still call it my ship, though I had captain above me, and all my people, and we, we were the best, <laughs> I will still insist. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were very proud of that, and that kept us driving. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, they were trained, and why I am saying best is because our ship was hired by the charters. Mm -hmm. on behalf of a lot of uh, other commercial entities to transport this cargo because they found us most suitable. Ah, interesting. So, so we take pride in that. There you go. So, and so it literally means, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it was rather your style of um, uh, managing the ship or the way the operations on your ship uh, were taking place were more aligned with the professionalism on the port. Uh, would, you, would you say that? And that's Absolutely. why there's a common term used nowadays, ease of doing business. And that's why your ship found the ease of doing business at the port much easier, like easier you would say? It was, it was prelude to that. Prelude to that, okay. And uh, right now ease of doing business is a very uh, higher level of evolution, I would say. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about 1985. Mm -hmm. All these things got harmonized uh, 2003 onwards, mm -hmm. more and more. But... Yes, there are. There were standards which had to ease, mm -hmm. uh, like you said correctly. Uh, comes when there is good interfacing, mm -hmm. when everybody is talking a similar frequency. Mm. So when I'm bringing the oil uh, right from loading, my tanks have to be ready, my calculations have to be correct. Uh, even the way the all and checking all this is called waiting today. Mm -hmm. Those days there were there were no waiting. Mm -hmm. There was more more of a reputation and few visits by certain experts. Mm -hmm. If they found you good, 
you were hired. Now, if you take your large ship over there, and these terminals, uh, I'm, I'm talking in plural because those were called the offshore single boy moorings, onto which, which were in uh, between uh, 30 to 50 meter lines mm -hmm. of the depth. So, the, our big ships could go and hook up to those single boy moorings at sea, mm -hmm. uh, not like in the docks that we see, and we could pump that entire cargo of 1.8 million barrels could be pumped in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And for crude oil washing, uh, if that was required, it would take another about 8 to 9 hours. And during that, this huge amount of oil was sent and it was immediately being pumped across to Sirikarir. Mm -hmm. And basis of that, other ships were waiting on the other side and somebody was coordinating and somebody was investing money in all this. So there, of course, they should not be, there couldn't be any pollution. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be, couldn't be any uh, errors. And we had to be good at uh, our jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned very correctly, harmony with the, uh, or good, uh, you know, communication with the shore people, uh, those who are handling terminals. That was, uh, of course, our main important part as, as our skill. We used standard language, but also there was this exp expediter, like I said, who would fly down from Switzerland and who was good in uh, coordinating with the shore people, ship people, and made sure that everything went smoothly. Now, when the cargo began, I will just uh, share very briefly here, what was different in Ain Sukhna was the tanks were very close. There was hardly any back pressure. Mm -hmm. So the way the and I was uh, that particular VLCC was a steamship. Mm -hmm. Nowadays uh, I haven't sailed on the, that set of steamship in recent years at all. Steamships are different for ship handling mm -hmm. than the uh, motor ships. So there, there there was a very large steam driven turbine. And there were 60K, uh, we call it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bar pressure, which mm -hmm. is considered high pressure boiler. There were two massive high pressure boilers, and the ship was propelling. A steamship, you cannot just stop uh, as easily as you could, you can do on motor ship, etc., etc. There are different techniques in handling the ship. And this giant uh, ship was then hooked up. And then when we start operating the pumps, it is different. And efficiently, you again move out of there. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the very highly efficient port in the uh, area where efficiency was a bit uh, lax, mm -hmm. uh, normally by uh, you know people's general experience. So, but this for, related to oil trade, it was excellent. <clears throat> things things sound very smooth because people at the port were very professional, your crew was highly trained. But you also did mention before about some difficulties in navigation along the Red Sea. Could you tell us a bit more about that and also a bit more about the port? Yeah, the, uh, the port itself is, uh, you know, in the northern head of the uh, Red Sea, which is called Gulf of Suez. And... More precisely, uh, it, in kilometers terms, it is about 50, 54 kilometers from the port of Suez. 
where also the southern tip is there. The, this water is about 30 meters deep, but it is uh, uh, the, the shallow parts are developed now for content. There, there is a channel and as I see on the, in the port information. But we used to be in the naturally deep waters. Okay. And uh, the the port, uh, actually you are talking about the navigational part in the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. Red Sea had uh, deserts uh -huh. and very difficult to detect shorelines. Mm -hmm. But between the actual shoreline and the waters where you start making deep waters, start making approaches, mm -hmm. there were a lot of either reefs or rocks. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you take Jeddah, which mm -hmm. is further down in Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. there used to be a lot of cases of these uh, pilgrimage ships or cattle ships going aground mm -hmm. uh, prior to satellite navigation mm -hmm. because the, the dead reckoning used to go wrong. And uh, mainly, the if, if, if you are coming from uh, Gulf of Suez, from Ain Sukhna outward, there are some breaks over there. And I know the historical stories behind them, what happened as case studies. Mm -hmm. That used to be the fate mm -hmm. if uh, things were not taken, you know, seriously and cross-checked and with utmost care. Okay. So that was always a challenge. Mm -hmm. Also, there were no, like, like on the highways, you see mm -hmm. lanes marked and traffic rules. Mm -hmm. uh, at sea also, it is called the traffic separation schemes. Mm -hmm. And like the airports have got ATC, we used to have the... Uh, uh, vessel traffic system uh -huh. and that was not there at that time mm -hmm. so uh, collision could happen collisions did happen mm -hmm. so we had to be careful to make sure that didn't happen mm -hmm. so and the uh, what then came about I don't know exactly which year they started somebody had this great idea that you can optimize the business mm -hmm. by bringing large quantities of oil in this uh, VLCCs, which mm -hmm. we otherwise doing around the Cape of Good Hope, long passages. Mm -hmm. And why not have a pipeline? Mm -hmm. And uh, the Sumet Oil Pipeline Company, uh, apparently they operate it and they operate that pipeline. They have storage tanks in Ain Sukhna area. They have storage tanks uh, in the Mediterranean side, west of Alexandria, there is a place called Sidikarir. Again, similar one with offshore mm -hmm. uh, SBMs and the oil is pumped with the, with the pumps. So from the ships, we pump to their tank farm mm -hmm. and the quantification was done. Our ship is cleared and that custody of oil as a custody transfer is done to the city grid side. And the transit in between is uh, supervised by a hired third-party recognized surveys companies by the charters. So as a ship staff, our job was complete when we got from Sumit Pipeline Company a receipt for receiving that much oil and making uh, something that made sure that our ship's tanks were empty. And where was this um, oil heading to once again? Mainly to European ports and US. So why didn't your ship pass the Suez Canal? Uh, why did it have to we were very large. Oh, okay. Very, very large. And, uh, and you Suez didn't want to be simply stuck like big. the ship that was stuck uh, oh. Oh, <laughs> recently. We, yes, a ship would get stuck if she made any effort to go inside. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't have gone even that near. 
Okay. We couldn't have entered. We, we, we just were very possible. deep, very big ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yes, grounding was a real danger. So my understanding yeah. is the the seaport was pretty deep. Very deep. Uh, it was ideal for the ship, but yeah. not the Suez Canal. So that's why you had to offload the oil and then it would be transferred from the port. Is that right? Or Absolutely right. Suez Canal is a man-made canal mm-hmm. and it was not so deep. It is even now not so deep. So that the huge, the, the one that grounded was a very large container ship. That was also very large. It is large. Okay. But these uh, ultra-large crude oil carriers, very large crude oil carriers, they were very difficult to handle and, uh, I, and nowadays they are, most of them are scrapped. Mm. It's not economical to run VLCCs of that size in those numbers mm-hmm. anymore uh, because it's a very competitive world. So Suez Canal has adapted, it has got widening, it has got extra channels, mm. uh, but not exactly catering to those fossils. Sumit pipeline of course continues mm-hmm. and Sukhna continues. Okay. But not necessarily having those kind of ships coming to them. Definitely. So this, this port was ideal for your 60,000 elephants. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So how do these ports look like? Um, usually, um, could you give us a little, could you help us pictureize the port? Is it very uh, strict? Are they only ships or do you see fishermen around? Do you see people casually diving or... Uh, was it more of a tourist attraction back then as well because of the depth of the waters? Could you help us pictureize what it looked like? I will say Ain Sukhna today may look different. You will see through your binoculars if you are about 10 miles off. Of course, uh, you won't see much, but as you start approaching, once you start coming within uh, 6 to 8 miles, you can start seeing the course line depending upon the uh, if there are no sandstorms. And because in the desert areas, uh, when the sand is churned, you don't see, you see, it becomes very hazy mm-hmm. and you may not see much. So, but typically those days we could just see a very bright golden, uh, in, in the if it's afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, a shoreline with few specks which you, you call as oil tanks mm-hmm. and uh, one small dot that is your uh, SBM and few boats. Mm-hmm. In fact, in this area, mainly in this part, there was not much fishing happening. Uh I'm comparing with uh, hundreds and hundreds of fishing boats Uh which happen, uh, which happen, uh, uh, fishing boat concentration you keep seeing in Uh China Sea, South China Sea. Not like that. Not at all like that. And probably because of that, the sea was pristine. Oh. Absolutely crystal clear blue waters mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there are a lot of rich marine life and uh, from among my lot of say interactions with the Europeans who used mm-hmm. to come there who were working in Ain Sukhna and uh, for for like this oil business mm-hmm. who are professionals, experts there, they used to tell they go snorkeling, they go diving mm-hmm. and uh, what I hear that now that interest has gone, the people with that interest, those tourists, Why? they go further down because there are more ports oh. catering to uh, diving in the Red Sea. So, Ainsukna did have that attraction, but no longer. So, here what we could see from distance is not much activity. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Red Sea, in the Gulf of Suez, there are few oil platforms. You saw them and uh, some maintenance boats which are hanging around. 
to take care of the uh, submerged pipeline and then later on it comes up into the desert and goes along and then there are uh, terminal people and mm -hmm. uh, pipeline people but you don't see them from the ship you're too far off too that. far off did you or your crew also do some snorkeling snorkeling <laughs> no were you allowed to or no, did you choose not, not to? to we're not allowed to we're not allowed to also fishing is not allowed oh because uh, if people do fishing by fishing lines if their hooks are dropped they uh, they can be harmful for the divers who go down for maintenance Oh, oh so for maintenance, for maintenance not for their, uh, their, their body suits, their equipment, they can be fouled by these fishing lines. and mm -hmm. so, so most of these boats, which handle oil, trans, uh, oil transportation, uh, they are very strict about not allowing diving or recreational activities. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have to just do our job and get out of there mm -hmm. safely. Because our scorecard is, did you arrive safely, mm -hmm. stay safely, did you handle your cargo safely, mm -hmm. and did you depart safely. And the meaning of the word safely here means having full control over all the associated risks. So when that is done, we say, well done. <laughs> <laughs> so good memories about time, Sukhna. Absolutely. Would, um, you, would you go back? Just for snorkeling, maybe? <laughs> not, not with the VLCC? Yeah, it will be nice. It will be good to... Be on the shore for a change. For a change, yes. And as a tourist, and why not uh, look at the ships and say, hey, what are they doing? But by habit, I think my eyes will go towards their ship's funnel. <laughs> and I will hope to see no black smoke at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh. okay. Well, there was so much to learn from the memories that you shared with us today. And especially, you know, about the Sumet pipeline and to the difficulties in navigations in the 80s as well. Uh, it was very interesting to know about the professional differentiation and especially is the part where you told about fishermen's hooks uh, uh, causing uh, harm you know, or a danger to maintenance divers. Uh, all this was pretty uh, new information and very rich. Th thank you very much, Captain Gokti, for sharing your experience of Ayn Sokna. Our listeners can also follow news on this particular port as there is some interesting development happening there right now because just three weeks ago, Egypt has officially announced their $7.5 billion Suez Special Economic Zone project where they will be building a massive petrochemical complex. So surely this landscape is changing and it is bound to affect the waters too. So with the changing times, the memories that you shared, these are the memories of the past that help us realize the progress our world has made. So thank you, Captain Gokte, and thank you to our listeners for joining us for this podcast. I shall meet you all again in my next episode and yes, until then, just make sure you subscribe to the channel and also share it with your mates. Thank you. Thank Ishan. you. Thank you, Ishan.